Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome back to Upfront. I'm Chloe Morgan. And I'm Rachel O'Sullivan. Club football is back and it's business time in the FA Cup, people. We react to Villa's dramatic penalty shootout as well as Chelsea's latest win over Arsenal ahead of the Conti Cup final this weekend. Plus, why has France's captain decided not to play at the World Cup? And then we head north because today we're joined by a special guest from north of the border. You'll struggle to find many people who have given more service to a single football club than Laura Montgomery. Not only did she play for Glasgow City over 250 times and captained them from 1998 to 2010, but she also co-founded the club. Just a small small couple of things there. Uh, Ever since then, the club has been a huge player in Scottish football. We speak to Laura about a seismic season for the Scottish Women's Premier League, the strengths of being a women's only football club and the future of the Scottish game. All right, Rach. I mean, a big FA Cup weekend, fifth round. I mean, we've got to have a shout out first off to our friend of the pod, Maggie Murphy uh, and Lewis, who reached the quarterfinals for the very first time in their history. Yes. I mean, they beat Cardiff City, uh, a solid 6 0 at Dominant. home. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, that's a pretty impressive display. They were probably expected to, to win that game, but first time in the club's history. I mean, what an achievement for them. So exciting. And they've drawn Manchester United at home. Um, in the quarterfinals, which is, you know, I think tie of the tournament. I'm really excited for that one. Um, can't wait for that. So, yeah, I'm, I'm excited for them. I think that could be a really, really big fixture. I mean, I kind of want to go and see it myself. And then I, I don't know what who to root because obviously, you know, I have, you know, strong, passionate feelings for Man United. Yes. But also, like, Lewis is the underdog in that Love game. That. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the crowd they're going to get down there. I mean, they, were, or they already had a pretty 
pretty amazing fan base, so I expect there's going to be um, quite a lot of people going down to the Dripping Pan that weekend. Yeah, and add the Man United fans in, it's going to be a noisy one. Gosh, I want to be there, I want to be there, but I've got a Palace game. Uh, I mean, we've got to touch on as well, the big, big beast, the battle of the Titans, the big giants, Chelsea and Arsenal meeting again. Uh, I mean, Chelsea got the better of Arsenal this weekend. Um, third straight elimination at the hands of Emma Hayes' side. Big, big weekend for Sam Kerr. I mean, she uh, you know, she had her 100th game this weekend, 100th appearance for Chelsea and 82nd goal. I'll tell you what. The amount of numbers that have been floating around about that. Okay, because <laughs> it was 78 was said by the club. I Everyone saw, else was saying 82. I saw 81 as well. Now the there. club is saying 81. Yeah. So listen, she scored a hell of a lot of goals in 100 games. Um, I still think it's 82, but you know what? We'd all have to go back and start counting, I think. But yeah, amazing. And, and Sophie was telling me the fans were singing, um, even with jet lag, she's better than you, which I think <laughs> is just such a... <laughs> I, she enjoyed it as well. It's a great clip of her turning around and giving the fans a little applause. So... That's what a hell of a chant. But yeah, she's um, she's almost better with jet lag. I think it was that. I mean, I don't think a lot of people were expecting her to start considering she just played three matches for Australia uh, in her home nation over the international break. I mean, most recently she just played on Wednesday and then to come in and to have a, a performance like that was uh, was absolutely phenomenal. Um, I mean, stats-wise, you know, talking about Chelsea and their, their sort of dominance there, I mean, you know, I don't want to talk too much about the mentality monster. I'll let you comment on uh, what Emma Hayes said post-match. But um, yeah, I mean, 57% possession with Arsenal, 20 shots as opposed to, se- uh, to seven Chelsea and 11 shots on target for Arsenal as opposed to Chelsea's three. I mean, to me, Arsenal had a more dominant performance in terms of the stats, but what we actually saw was Arsenal again not putting away key and critical chances and Chelsea being the more efficient, ruthless side. I mean, yeah, what were your thoughts on that? What did you take take away? And I think, if I'm right, anne Catherine Berger was part of the match? Yes, yes, she so was. So that kind of tells you everything. Um, it's frustrating uh, because Arsenal know what the problems are. There's a lot of pressure there on them to start scoring goals. Um, and they just keep kind of heaping pressure on themselves. And, you know, we talk a lot about who they're missing up front, but that's massively impacted. The defence is, is shaky. And, you know, we kind of forget that that not the lack of firepower, but the lack of clinical finish mm. puts more pressure on the defence because they know that, you know, in the past maybe it was like, OK, we always know we've got someone to get us out of this if needed. Not that that was always the case, but it just, you know, you think about the pressure that filters down Um and it, as each chance goes by, the more and more pressure on the defence, do not let Chelsea score, do not let Chelsea score because we're not putting our chances away. We need to hold off a bit longer. And yeah, they're just, they're a bit shaky at the back, um, which is a bit worrying. Um, and I just think there's no, like, it's like they're starting again to try and find those connections and those relationships with those two key players missing. And it's just taking a while. And uh, yeah, I guess Arsenal fans will be, Frustrated, I think Jonas will be looking at all the chances they created and all the shots they had, and that's yep. what he'll be focusing on. Um, you know, one or two of those had actually gone in. It'd be a whole different ball game. So they're going to focus on that ahead of the Conti Cup final this weekend. Massively. I mean, Idaville did say, you know, we created enough chances to win the game, but Chelsea were brutally efficient. Uh, and he said, actually, on a positive note, it's easier to keep the belief that things will improve. There are players there that I know can score goals. But I think now, I mean, like you said, they've got to problem solve their way out of this. They haven't got the firepower up front, but you need to be looking at a, a more robust defence because they're, it's not, that's not okay. Their performance like yesterday wasn't yesterday, Sunday. Sunday. wasn't okay. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they. I know we say lack of firepower but they have players in the team that can score goals um, so it does feel like they're still lacking those relationships and those combinations they're still trying to figure those out now um, and I think that is impacting the defence as I said um, but I think 
mentality was the big player in this. I mean, I know I talk about this all the time. You never do. I never <laughs> hear that from you. But if we think about Chelsea in the beginning of the season, they weren't creating enough chances. They mm. weren't creating enough chances on goal and they weren't converting enough. Now, what did you say? Three shots on target? Yeah. Two goals? Yep. That's the shift. And and Hayes spoke about that post-match, that this was a hard game for both teams right after international break. You know, you've a lot of international players in both of these teams to get yourself up for a game like this, to have your head in the game like this is going to be even tougher. And that's what was going to be the de- the decider between the two teams and, and Chelsea just have that. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, Hayes said again, you know, technical errors there. Tactically, she felt they did everything they asked. They did have heavy legs, brains are tired, uh, but the commitment to staying in the game was key there and taking chance at the right moment, exactly what, what you said. I mean... It was a bit of a resilient performance. It wasn't Chelsea's best. It wasn't a sort of masterclass in, you know, beating a, another Titan, but it was enough to get them through to, to the next round. So, yeah. And again, I mean, we're going to have a kind of, it's almost like a another opportunity to see both of them go head to head. Selly P at the uh, the Conti Cup final next weekend, which would be another kind of chance for, for maybe Arsenal to, you know, focus on this game and think we can actually get some silverware this season. Because at the moment, that does look a little bit um, on the ropes. I'd really, really like them to get silverware this season because this is going to be probably one of their toughest seasons mm. mentally um, and physically. And I kind of, it's one of those like either Jonas is going to pull out some tactical masterclass and have learned a lot of lessons from this match and it could be really beneficial that they just played them um, or it's going to go the other way and they're going to get battered. Ooh. All right, score predictions. I think Chelsea 3 1. 3 1. Mm. I say Chelsea 2-0. Head says Chelsea, heart says Arsenal. You know, I want them to get something this okay. season just to kind of take the pressure off. I think it's a, it's a game that carries more pressure than it normally would. I think yes. a lot of the, the games that, you know, Arsenal and Chelsea are going to be playing, they're not going to be thinking, OK, the Conti Cup is our absolute ride or die. But for Arsenal, I feel like it is. Whereas for Chelsea, I think it would just be a bonus to win that. I don't know. I feel like for Chelsea, that would just set them on their way for the rest of the season. And they'd be like, Do you know what? Let's get Nothing this, can touch let's us. Let's get this title. Let's get the league. Let's get the FA Cup. You know, let's do it all. It will light a fire that they need. I think so. I think for both of them, a lot rides in it. Uh, and another big, big bit of news this weekend uh, from the France women's national team. Uh, Wendy Reynard announced that she will not play at the 2023 World Cup to preserve her mental health. Uh, she said that she was taking a step back from the national team. She was fed up with a lack of professionalism. Uh, she was then joined by Diani and Katoto. Uh, they said they will no longer be playing for France unless things change. Um, Diani in particular said the management of the team was behind the decision uh, and Reynard said she could no longer endorse the current system. So, yeah, it does not look good. Um, and I think um, we've obviously seen a bit of a wave of, you know, incredible national teams, you know, raise these kind of massive, significant issues with the way that the women's teams are being treated, the equality, the discrimination, the harassment, you know, the really in-depth kind of um, issues, you know, that some of the US and the Spanish players are talking about. What What is what is happening? What is what is going on, Rage? Because this, to me, feels like a... A, a huge problem that we've got these massive national teams. We've got Olympi- Olympians, we've got, you know, World Cup holders, we've got semi-finalists in the Euros from last year coming out and saying, well, actually our federations aren't supporting us. And even more, even worse, I think, is that some of these federations are turning around and saying, actually, you're just individuals and the team is so much bigger and the federation is so much bigger than you. We're not really going to look into this or take this that seriously. I mean, what the hell is going on? Well, first of all, I want to say, Hats off to players like Reynard um, and Andiani and Katoda. But Reynard, it could potentially be her last World Cup. Mm. And the strength and the bravery to put that in jeopardy and to potentially put that on hold for a bigger cause is so, so brave. Um, and we're seeing that from a lot of different players. 
they're they're if anything putting the team ahead of themselves. Yeah. Um, and they want better conditions, rightly so. Um, and this kind of equality isn't just about money, right? It's about facilities, accessibility, um, the equipment needed to be and to perform at your best. And what we're seeing is that women's football still has a long way to go because if this is happening for these big name teams, you know, there's a lot of teams that aren't up in the top 10 in the world that are struggling and, and fighting these fights. Um, so we still have a long way to go in that respect. I think the issues are slightly different with Canada, um, with France and maybe with Spain, you know, slightly different, but all kind of encompasses that we need better conditions um, for national teams. And these, as you say, are the best of the best. With France, you know, there's no kind of denying the fact that there's been problems with Corinne Diak, the, the coach. We touched mm. on them before the Euros. Um, she has nine lives, it seems. Um, there's been a lot of Got different... more than that. Yeah, 12. Uh, she's, there's a lot of things that have come out about her. She's a very, very severe way of managing. Um, and I think, you know, I read that she had managed a men's team at one point in France and after she left some players described it as almost like a dictatorship um, it was her way or the highway um, and I think that's kind of the case at the moment if you're not 100% on board with absolutely everything um, you get dropped and we saw that with Amandine Henri previous captain was dropped Wendy Renard was dropped uh, in 2017 and brought back as captain so um, they're pushing for change I do feel like with Spain and France there's an element of, of kind of cronyism in there in terms mm. of um, management staying in place for longer than maybe they should um, and France Federation's response feels a little bit like the Spanish Federation's response yeah. in this kind of players are not uh, bigger than a federation um, but you know more power to them because they're fighting the good fight and it, it takes big names like this and big players like this and big risks like this unfortunately for change to be made Massively, and I think yeah, like like you said, I've got to echo you, echo your sentiments there, Rach. I mean, we've only just seen you know, Ada Hedeberg, uh, Leon teammate of uh, of Reynard, um, who previously obviously stopped playing for Norway for five years, taking a stand against um, you know the inequalities that were happening in the, in the national team there, and and I think we are starting to see a lot more of that. It's like players using their platforms, and not just in a kind of sentimental way in terms of you know putting up a, a rainbow picture for pride or anything like that. These are big significant changes that are going to impact their career. I mean, like you said, I mean, Reynard's probably not going to go to, to another World Cup in her lifetime. So, you know, things are going to be really bloody bad for you to take a step away for, from the game. But, you know, credit to them for trying to highlight what's going on to try and help things for hopefully the next generation of players coming through. But I'm, I'm a little bit worried by the by the French um, by the French response to this because that, that to me sounds like a shutdown. We're not going to investigate it properly. We don't think there's an issue here and uh, we're going to see... We're going to see how much it impacts you at the the World Cup, and we're not that fussed about it about it anyway. So, yeah, I mean, these are three massive players. It's obviously going to affect their chances at, at the World Cup um, this year. So, you know, credit to them, credit to them for for taking that stance. And that's unreal. So, um, yeah, we'll uh, we'll bring you more updates on the story because I'm assuming we'll, there'll be probably some more information coming out. We're already sort of seeing potentially some rumours circulating about. Um, Kareem being uh, being fired or resigning from from the post, and also there's some allegations being made potentially about the uh, the chief of the uh, the French Federation. But uh, but we'll wait and see what yeah. what sort of comes out and what information uh, we have. Bon chance to the later French on. Team. Yeah. All right, we're going to have a break, and then after this, we will speak to Laura. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you 
everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to Upfront, Laura. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. Wish you could have had you here, uh, but obviously you're an incredibly busy person. I mean, <laughs> to give our listeners a bit of background, yourself and Caroline Stewart founded Glasgow City in 1998. Not not a small small thing to do. Just found a club, and ever since you've led the way in the Scottish game and dominated after an incredible 14 straight Scottish Women's Premier League titles. Glasgow City's run finally ended last year when Rangers lifted the trophy, but. This season, you are back at a fierce title rate with Celtic and Rangers. And last weekend, you returned to the top of the table, of course, with a 7-0 win over Aberdeen. Wow. I mean, wow. what, what a... What, what a history. What a career. Um, so- yeah, thank you so much for joining us. We feel very privileged to, to have you on. Um, I mean, we've got to sort of jump straight in and talk a little bit about, about this season. Uh, I mean, Glasgow City uh, not defending the title for the first time in 15 years. Has that been a sort of little bit of a liberating thing for you I suppose the pressure sort of being a little bit less yeah I think it's just the nature of the, the game I think it was an incredible achievement um you know as the years went past I kind of thought let's focus on 10 because that's a Scottish record um and then every year I'm like oh my god we've got a chance of doing this again so you know it was obviously a, a real motivation but you know we weren't daft we knew it was not going to last for forever it's um you know it was extremely challenging um as anybody knows that you know that has success, the hardest thing is to is to retain it and to keep winning. And um, it's easier to do it, much easier to do it as a one-off. But you know, last season for us was a bit of a tra- transition in terms of we had a new head coach. The, you know, they weren't able to come in at the very start of the season, so we had an interim coach. We were changing a lot of our structures, going from kind of part-time team to moving to you know a full-time setup, and you know that that all takes its time. Um, but you know, in terms of 
where that's put us now, you know, is obviously in great shape. We're we're fully professional. Um, you know, we're we've implemented a lot of things in the last year, and I think you know this season that's it kind of starting to come to its fore. We've got our new um, kind of interim head coach Leanne. That's you know Leanne Ross. That's doing you know incredibly well. You can see her form. You know after Christmas and she's come in. You know she's got this very ruthless and relentless kind of streak about her, which kind of emphasised how she played herself and how almost we were as a team. And she's instilling that in the girls, and that probably you know emphasises the likes of the scoreline on Sunday. You know when 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 we get goals, you know we don't sit back and say right. You know we've won the game. You know we we keep going and. No matter who comes onto the pitch, you know, as a substitute, the quality doesn't drop and, and that kind of maintenance of what we're trying to do in the match continues. You obviously led the way in women's football for, in Scotland for a very long time. Um, but seeing teams now start to challenge and obviously uh, now you're back, you're fighting to get back and, and win it again. Does it kind of feel like oh, it's about it's about time now? You've got this kind of real fight in your hands? Yeah, 100%. I mean, I think everyone thinks that we've kind of had it easy over all these years and you know we've really really not you know we've had huge competition over a number of years um obviously in, in recent times it's been Hibernian but you know I remember back for a period that was Celtic for a year or two where you know we're pushing us I think they'd finish runners up it was Spartans one year so we've always had incredibly tough competition you know the the leagues you know we've, we've never won them by 20 points or, or anything like that it's always been really really tight I think you know, the investment in Rangers and Celtic have been around for a long time. Um, I think what a lot of people don't also realise is they've always had more money than us. Um, you know, they've always had big shiny training centres and a lot of resources they could put into their team, which which we never had. But, you know, we were still able to maintain our success. Now, obviously, that investment from these clubs is massive. But as it is from Hibernian and Parps and lots of our other um, teams, you know, within the league. But it's, it's fantastic because I think... You know, in, in Scotland, you know, we've kind of looked on with envy over, you know, some of the other leagues in the world, you know, the investment there, the opportunities for girls to play full time. And, you know, I, I didn't want Scotland and I don't want our club to be one where, you know, players just constantly want to move on, where it's very hard to attract players to come to come and play in your country. You know, we want to, if we get to Europe, to be competitive and all of that means we have to have a strong league. So 100% welcome, you know, the, the growth in, in, in a number of teams in, in the SWPL. And I think I'm right in saying I read a quote from you that you said you want to be successful and win titles, of course, but that's not the only measure um, that you do a lot of. Obviously, we do a lot off field to champion change and, and there's a real cause behind us, which, you know, is an amazing thing, especially as an independent club about the wider impact you've had. Yeah, and that's why we are independent. You know, I've never hidden the fact that most of the major men's teams over all the revolution have asked us to be their team over the year because that was a nice tick box. Like, let's pick the team that's winning and rebrand them as ours. But, you know, the reason that, you know, we didn't do that and the reason it was never for us is because, for me, you know, equality is massive and the girls and women have to be equal. And there's very few setups in the world where that does exist. And I think I want to be a club where, you know, I can go to meetings and I can make decisions. I don't have to take it back and I don't need to think how, how it may impact on the men's side. We have incredibly strong beliefs and values in, in what we do. And that can be things from, you know, our, our players go out into schools all the time. You know, we very much instill that you can't be what you can't see. So, you know, we send the players out. We do role model stuff all over. It has it has a huge impact. You know, just last week um, during the international break, I had a head teacher get in touch because... You know, we'd, we'd opened a, a school pitch um, the year before and there's a young girl that had really got into football but she was now getting bullied by the boys. So we invite her along to training for the day. She meets the player, she gets a strip. It's only 
it's only one kid, but it, it'll make a big difference. It might make that little girl stick in the football and it might mean that she has a healthy lifestyle for the rest of her life because she's, you know, she's stuck in at a sport or who knows, she could go on to be, you know, a fantastic player, but it doesn't really matter. We just kind of want opportunities to be available to girls and also to campaign you, right? You know, for change, things that haven't been right in the game. We've been at the forefront of the ones shouting about it and saying why it's not right and why things need to change or whether it's, for example, one of our current campaigns is to encourage women, you know, to go for smear tests because you know, there are huge issues with cervical cancer in our country. You know, a lot of, lot of women or people with a cervix scared to go and get a smear. So we joined that campaign to try and, you know, reduce those barriers because our players are role models and people do listen to them. Love that. Absolutely amazing. Uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, it's amazing always when, when clubs are sort of using their platforms to kind of raise awareness, especially sort of some of the women's health issues. We've definitely touched on a few of those in, in the pod recently. Uh, and if you ever want me and Rachel to come down to a training session, we'd absolutely love to. That would oh be God. a great <laughs> up front, up north. Um, that would be great. <laughs> Most welcome. Oh, brilliant. All right. Well, Finn, uh, producer Finn, if Both you can, uh, can you sort that out, that would be absolutely great. Um, but Laura, you mentioned there sort of being an independent club. And, you know, at the moment, there are fewer and fewer independent clubs apart from uh, Glasgow City's B team. There are no other independent clubs in the SWPL. Um, you know, what, what are your thoughts on kind of independent clubs, uh, you know, their place in the future of, of women's football? And do you kind of see it as a, a bit of a commercial advantage now? Because, you know, that's quite a unique feature that, that you've got. Yeah, I think it's it's, it's two things. I think um, it's obviously, it's easier financially being part of a men's club because they naturally will have more money. Now that easiness can exist on very different levels. So, for example, in the WSL, you know, the amount of money those clubs have in terms of, sorry, their men's clubs is, you know, it's it's frightening. So, you know, potentially, for example, Chelsea men to give Chelsea women £10 million isn't really that, that too, you know, is it too hard? There, there's no club in Scotland going to get £10 million off their men's side, you know, so the, the men's clubs here don't have that kind of same um, resource. And so, but it's, it all comes into percentages and it, it's all still, you know, good value for, for the women's teams. I think for us, I think it's, it is hard to be an independent club because I see you don't have things kind of automatically given to you. But as you see, I think we kind of stand out now because we have kind of stuck to our guns for, for 25 years. Um, we are different. Um, we very much don't go down the traditional model of what football's always been or what it's like. So a typical example of that is we're a clean club. You know, not only do we not take alcohol at, um, sponsors or gambling sponsors, we also partner with the organisations that try to remove um, this type of advertising from our sport. Now that, of course, has an impact on us financially um, and we can be a bit of a lone voice because I go back to, for example, a lot of my peers in the women's game <clears throat> who, who, who their side, for example, is attached to a men's side probably agree with me but they can't make the same stance because their men's clubs have these have these brands all around their stadium and on their shirts so that in itself and what we do and everything we do in our community yeah it does it attracts investment and it attracts sponsors who perhaps like the fact that we are different and we stand for something different and we can kind of move quite nimbly in, in what we want to do that's so interesting i think it's something we'll probably touch on as we get close to the world cup as well when we're seeing sponsors kind of come across both men's and women's football and, and how much control we still have in the women's game in terms of who sponsors women's football versus who sponsors men. Um, you worked in Hibernian, right? So you've seen the other side. Um, yeah. Did, what learnings did you take from that? Well, it was a very different setup because obviously I only worked on the men's side, you know, on the commercial side. And to be honest, it's, you know, men's football world is 
let's grab money from wherever we can. Um, you know, that's the brutal reality. You need as much money as you can, uh, particularly in Scotland, to try and compete, you know, with clubs at a similar level or, you know, for most of the top men's clubs here, it's to try and compete um, as best they can with the old firm, which they'll never be able to financially, but they kind of want to be the best of the rest because that comes with European places. So, you know, huge pressure always to, to bring in money, you know, financially. Um, the men's game does do a lot of things in terms of supporting new communities. We've got a lot of, most of our, our major men's clubs up here have charities attached to them, you know, and they, they do great things in terms of particularly supporting perhaps, you know, men's health issues um, because, you know, a whole load of guys still go to the football together. Um, they possibly don't talk about things, but, you know, they might do within a football environment and open up a little bit more. So, you know, men's football has been really, really powerful in, in that. But as I say, it's um, it's it's different. It's been a very traditional way of how to do things and how the game's seen. And that's where I think for us as a club, you know, we have we have quite clear values. And I think, funnily enough, we just had a, a kind of board meeting about this yesterday, but it's just to always think about those values in every decision we make. And, you know, that, that sometimes is is very much not the traditional way to do things um, because, you know, football can be quite harsh, but, you know, we try and say, well, if we're championing women and girls, then that's what we need to do, even although that decision may cost us a, a, a lot of money for no benefit. But if it's, for example, you know, to the advantage of the player and player welfare for us is massive, you know, I think when I go down to why do we want players to play for us? We want players to play for our club because they feel it's a great environment to be in. And a lot of players say that, you know, when they come to Glasgow City that they've travelled and played for, for so many teams all around the world and they've never been so well looked after. And that's really important to me because that's that's what we want. You know, we want women to feel championed. I mean, I'm amazed that a lot of players have come play for me and say, this is the first time I've been offered a pension. I mean, that's actually almost illegal to not oh. offer someone a pension, you know, of yeah. a certain age and... It's it's small things, but we realised that in the women's game we've accepted we've accepted things for so long, and then women were just so grateful to get paid to do anything. Then obviously we've got all the talk about maternity rights and everything now that's coming in. But you know, as women, mm. we have accepted anything just for being able to play a sport, which isn't right. You know, you should expect so much more. Massively, I think um, obviously for my, myself, sort of seeing you know being a part of the women's game and playing the women's game for you know a decade the transition period has obviously been quite significant and, um, you know, you have gone from pretty much just sort of, you know, hands out begging for, um, you know, food resources, kit, playing time, playing space um, to now be in a position where actually it's such a, a marketable and profitable product that you can kind of, I suppose, more pick and choose where, you know, some of your investments or some of your sponsors or some of your partnerships are, are coming from. But, you know, you, you talked there about some amazing sort of principles and, you know, the culture that you're trying to create at, at Glasgow in terms of wanting to do the right things by your players and especially for, you know, female players and the kind of, you know, specific issues that, that, that female players have. Where does that culture come from? Is that something that you sort of created at board level? Is that something that's come from the players? Is it a mix of both? I think it's natural these things have all been football is a business, so you know, Glasgow City is a business and it's you know, when when Cass and I started the club, it was, you know, we wanted to be the best the best club out there we could be. We wanted to do things differently. We wanted the girls to have better opportunities. We wanted to create, you know, youth teams because we weren't allowed to play you know, football when we were kids, there was no opportunity, all, all that kind of stuff. And then just as the years kind of grow and you you, you realise you're living these things, then, you know, probably it's, it's probably the last decade where we've kind of sat back because it's difficult to sit back and reflect sometimes, you know, because there's two people that grew up running the club with full-time jobs. And for me, 
you know, for the first, um, you know, 12 years I was also playing, um, you know, so running a club, playing, also having a full-time job, you kind of just go like 100 miles an hour and sometimes you don't sit back and think. And it has been, <laughs> probably ironically, you know, we've we've built the club a lot better since I retired. <laughs> you know, I've got a bit more time to obviously retire from playing, um, spend doing it. And now I'm very fortunate I'm, I'm full-time in, in, in what I do at the club. But it's it's just that natural evolution where, as a business, you, you grow. I, you know, grow as a person. Started the club very young, and then you start to think back and you think like, this is actually what we're about. And then you know, we reflect and say, right, we've made all these decisions based on these pillars. And then you start to realise that everything fits into that. Um, and that's naturally how you run your club based on your own values. And then you just embed them, you grow them. Like most businesses, you talk about them a lot. You realise how they they influence every decision you make. And um. You know they, they do just encompass you know what what, what they are and I think I'm gonna tell you what they are so for us it's we're actually extremely demanding um and that that demanding really high standards came from our success from from a young age because when we were you know very young young as a club everyone was completely amateur in fact you know my entire 12 years of playing for Glasgow City not only did um I run it and play for it I also paid 40 pounds a month for the privilege of doing so in my monthly subs you know because this was this was the reality that that we all lived in um but we, we trained like a professional team. You know, we, we trained four nights a week and, you know, the players all had really good diets. And But you had to do that back in the day to be successful, you know. And then, you know, everything as well from, you know, we're, we're, we're leading. So we stand out and if things aren't right, you know, we speak about it. We try and create change. Um, and from a lot of that, we've also been really pioneering. We've, you know, we've, most of the firsts in, in Scotland have been because we've done it and whether that's been you know, the first club to have a full-time head coach, first club to insist that head coach was pro-licensed, first club to pay a player, first club to, you know, qualify for the next stage of the Champions League. You know, all of these historical moments have been Glasgow City and most of those periods of how we've got there has been because, you know, we've been demanding, we've, we've been leading. But then also our last one is, is, is caring and I go back to that player welfare. We've done it with, you know, players welfare at heart and, and tried to do it in the right way so that, players enjoy playing for us and, and we are you know we are a family club but we're not too cuddly because you have to win and you know there's standards but you can combine it all you know combine it all quite well so as I say it's just over you know building the business reflecting and then now it's it's, it's the kind of values that we live by every day. I think some of the stuff that you've touched on that you've kind of challenged over the years like we often talk a lot about the success of women's football and how quickly it's grown but we're seeing now that there's still a long way to go with national teams now demanding fairer treatment. You know, we're still talking about maternity rights uh, in the women's game. So it's, you know, we're still in a position to shape it, um, if you like. And I guess clubs like yourself and particularly independent clubs, which I guess are reducing at the moment, are almost creating a framework for how things should kind of go, it feels like, um, in terms of the, the, the core values that you have. And, you know, we've seen some of that in um, the likes of uh, the NWSL with like, Angel City. It feels like it's a similar thing where you're both quite involved in your community, and that's a core part of of what you do as a football club. Do you feel like that could be a framework for future independent clubs, if you like? And could we see more of them? I think hundred percent. It has it has to be a framework because if you're going to be independent, you know, it, it means you you can run by your own your own values. And I'd like to think that that most clubs, most businesses, run by the correct values because. Most successful businesses, you need to believe in what you're doing, and you kind of need to have a just cause. Because if your if your motivation, for example, is just to make money, that that's 
you're not going to be successful. You need to get up, feel the fire in your belly and want to do it every day and make a difference. So, you know, we're a football club that wants to make a difference. So a hundred percent if you're if you're independent, you're not going to be influenced by, you know, your 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 male your male being peers in the club. Um your hands aren't going to be tied by, for example, if if they have a bad year and they get relegated and their income drops dramatically, which means your income drops dramatically, you know, all of these things which we've seen, you know, we've seen over the years, you know, teams um you know, collapse. Obviously, that happened to Esko Stuna and, and recently in Sweden. It's happened numerous times in England over the years. You would like to think we're far away from that happening again, but you know, you, you just never know. Um, you know, it very much could, and and sadly, we know that it's it's the women that will that will probably suffer. Um, because our biggest challenge just now in the women's game is, it's still not really. It's it still doesn't really stand on its on its own two feet. You know, from a financial sustainability point of view, um. So that's, I think, you know, one of our, our biggest challenges as well is we want to grow and we want, um, you know, our, our women players to have, you know, similar wages and, and, and all the opportunities. It's balancing it with being able to balance the books as well. No, I think it's um it's going to be interesting. Obviously, we've got this uh, Karen Carney review coming out uh, at some point in the sort of indefinite near future, soon-ish. Soon. <laughs> yeah, at some point. Uh, I mean, obviously, she's got to gather mountains of information and put it all together in one fantastic report that I'm hoping is going to be very uh, in-depth and, and insightful. Um, but I think one of the models that I think she she will be looking at is the sort of independent clubs. And we touched on there with sort of, I know Lewis isn't sort of a fully independent club as such, but it does have a kind of independent-ish model with a kind a of... A unique way, yeah, yeah. A unique way of, of how it does things. And then London City Lionesses in the championship as well. Um, but obviously, you know, being an independent club comes with its challenges, not just sort of on a, on a financial um, sphere. But I mean, we've just seen the big January transfer window. You know, we're talking hundreds of thousands of pounds now being paid for for players. I mean, in terms of the sort of competitive advantage that being non-independent gives you in, you know, getting, you know, bigger names in, you know, bigger players, international players, um, you know, does, is there a sort of worry at all that, that you know, having that kind of financial capacity in terms of, you know, being able to get in players like that um, is something that, it, it, you know, Glasgow might struggle with in terms of the comparison then between sort of Celtic and, and Rangers? Listen, I think it, it, it'll always be challenging you know, for an independent club in, in, in that respect. But I think it's it's what do you stand for and, and what's important. You know, if it's if it's to be, you know, attached to, you know, a men's club with which is really all the history in, in, in the men's game and, you know, if players are joining you for the men's history, they're not really joining you at, at this point in time for, for the women's history. Um and there's very few clubs that it kinda of drives me crazy. There there's so many players get um you know signed and they've got all the big pictures and the videos taken and it's a big tour around the 60,000 seater stadium of which you know for most female players they'll be lucky if they play in once in their three years that they're at the club so you know it's also not really quite often the, the reality for those players you know it looks great but that's actually not where you're going to play and that's also probably not where you're going to train either so yes it's it's challenging um and yes um you know the the shininess of the history and, and fame of, of the men's clubs makes it makes it more challenging. But for me, I'm kind of looking for a player that that has something different in them. You know, so as much as we want to sign talented players at Glasgow City, they need to fit our model and they need to fit our values. And you know, if if they're not all about that, then they're actually not going to fit into our club culture. So it's also the type of player we want. Um. So yes, you know. Would I love to sign Sam Kerr, take her off Chelsea? You know, yes, but it's it's not going to happen. But it <laughs> doesn't doesn't bother me that it's not going to happen. 
Um, I'm going to going to shift a little bit of from the the micro to the macro a little bit to to looking at the SWPL um, expanding obviously to to twelve teams and then eight entered into the second tier. Um, and then also brought under the jurisdiction of the SPFL, so the Scottish Professional League, um, which runs the men's game. What difference has that kind of made from your perspective? The main difference is it has kind of given control back to the clubs. Um, you know, before we were under Scottish women's football, who, you know, like the growth of most women's sport, you know, grew from a very small organisation and um, you know running purely grassroots amateur football into an organisation that was running grassroots football for a six-year-old picking up the ball for the first time to teams with you know 16 senior internationalists trying to um, you know play in the Champions League and, and they just became too far apart um, for it really to work and, and the model and structure of of kind of power and authority didn't didn't sit with the clubs at all so that became challenging um for us at, at the top end of the game um because you know we we really needed the game to grow um mainly financially to be honest you know broadcast deals commercial deals and it just wasn't really happening and probably it was a frustration for the top clubs um and we looked at different models as to how we do it and do we go off on our own um the SPFL showed interest unsurprisingly given the growth of the women's game um, and you know we're keen that we go in under their umbrella so I actually sit on the board um, for that I was voted on as one of the, the, the club kind of members and now you know as clubs we have control we have you know we have the majority of the board we can make the decisions we can shape them and you know we've we've already made some big strides um, in terms of you know commercial deals and broadcast deals for the league which ultimately you know will benefit the, the top team clubs I mean, uh, obviously, the uh, the league isn't fully professional um, yet. Is that something that you sort of see happening in the in the near future? Is that something you'd like to see happen very quickly? Yeah, hundred um, percent. We were actually classed as a professional league by FIFA, so you know, it's it's an, all, all the clubs that um, the SWPL two is a class as professional, but SWPL one um, or just SWPL as it's now called is. So yeah, there's 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 no players now in our top league that isn't paid just as all to different extents, you know, some are, are, are fully professional. So, mm. you know, ourselves, Celtic Rangers, Hibernian, you know, we're professional. Um, Hearts, I'd probably say at least half to three quarters of them, you know, will be professional. Aberdeen are all part-time players. So there's Spartans, you know, are fully part-time. So there's a growth of more and more investment. Mm. And I think it will be easier because as you've already discussed, most of those other um, clubs, you know, are attached to men's clubs. It's easier for them to make these decisions to make the girls more full time as we can grow more income into the league. And that was one of, as I say, the main drivers for doing so because, you know, we, we want uh, we want to have a fully professional league in terms of all players being, you know, full time players that take part in it. Uh, I mean, it was a long time ago now. I always think when you talk about 2013, it was like last year, but it's not. And 2013. Yeah, my time, my time, my sense of time is completely warped. Jeez, that's like, ages ago. That's ten years ago. It doesn't feel like that long. Anyway, um, I mean, in 2013, you and the club uh, reportedly held talks with the WSL about moving to a larger uh, English top division because the women's football uh, situation in Scotland was allegedly not moving quickly enough. Um, how do you reflect on on that now? Is that anything that you still think about, or sort of you know wish that things would have been different at all? Okay, of course. Listen, we would have loved that to have happened. Um, I think we always knew deep down that it probably never would have, just because you know you'd have all the other English teams saying, "Well, 
how does that work? They're not part of the English FA. How do they sneak in? That's taken a place away from us. But yeah, it's in all, in all aspects of, of, of Scottish football, we look to English football and say, God, I wish we were a part of that, you know, because a lot, there's a lot more investment, there's a lot more growth. And obviously we could see at the very start of the WSL where it was going. And, and at that point, we, to be honest, were far too big for, you know, for Scottish football. And we wanted that competition. We wanted all the stuff I talk about now that we're slowly getting, you know, in terms of players wanting to play in our league, wanting to remain at our club because there's incredibly good competition and a really, really high standard. Speaking of um, incredible competition. Uh, nice. <laughs> thank you. Um, <laughs> playing Celtic on, on Sunday, right? Crunch yes, game? Yes, uh-huh. huge, huge game. How much yep. are you looking forward to that one? How's it going to go? <laughs> oh, well, hopefully a Glasgow City win. Um, I mean, we're obviously top of the league, so we've got, you know, it's it's maybe not, it's, you know, Celtic is probably, I think we're three points ahead, so they'll look at it as a game they really need to win. Obviously, it'd be massive for us if, if we do win because we'd go six points clear of them. But, you know, after that, we're going into the split. We've, we have to play Celtic another twice, Rangers another twice. We've got a lot of other strong teams, particularly in Hearts and, and Hibernian, who will take points. Um, parts have already done that off Rangers this year. Motherwell have already, um, you know, taken points as well off some of the, you know, the, the old firms. So... I think Sunday's massive, but it won't it won't be the defining point in the league one hundred percent no. I mean, some really interesting, insightful stuff there. Uh, I think it's always fascinating when we sort of talk about, you know, independent clubs versus non-independent clubs. You know, being in the championship myself for you know quite a long period of time, we've started we've see, we've seen it. We've seen London City being one of the first, and now I think the club are doing you know amazing stuff in you know obviously paying their players you know pretty decent wages that I've heard in around the sort of top twenties, if not early thirties uh, per per year. So, you know that that's great that we've kind of seen an example of what a club can do, but. Into, I, my biggest fear, I think, for a club like that is then stepping up into the WSL because the, there is such... The, we're talking millions. We're going from, you know, maybe hundreds of thousands, top in a, in a million or, or in excess of that. But then going into the WSL, the stadium that you need, the additional FA criteria, the regulations, the licensing, you know, you're talking multiple millions and that's a, that's a big jump in investment. So for me, I do feel like there is still a bit of a gulf there and that actually we there's so much more sort of insecurity and financial risk. I thought it was really interesting to hear the makeup of an independent club. I really like it. I like the fact that you can shape it, that you can create your own values, that you're not kind of relying on someone else to make decisions when maybe you're not their priority. Mm-hmm. So I really like that. And I think it's a great model. And I would, I, it's something I'd like to see more of in the future. Um, my take is that with the women's game growing so quickly, we're almost too Im- Im- impatient is the wrong word because, you know, the game isn't getting what it deserves, right? So the growth and the fast growth is great because we're getting closer and closer mm-hmm. to what the game should have um, in terms of facilities and, and funding. But at the same time, it's almost too fast maybe for an independent model taking off kind of now-ish. I mean, Glasgow is slightly different because they've been around for since 1998. Um, they've kind of paved the way, which is fantastic. And and we're seeing the same, as I said, over in the likes of Angel City, where you're getting these big investors investing big money. But you om- almost need the growth of the game in order for that to, independent side of things to become um, an, an interesting financial perspective, you know, that people could look at and say this could be a really good mm-hmm. investment investment. Um, 
and it's like you, it's hard to have one without the other and I you know maybe I'm wrong I'm not um, uh, a very in, intellectual business person but you kind of need that growth in what we're seeing in women's football um, and the, the you know the big names and the, and the big stars and the, the great tournaments and stuff and, and it's visible and we're seeing lots of money put into it in order for then an independent club starting out to be a really interesting financial thing to get involved in mm-hmm. and it's almost like without that investment and that growth, is that an interesting thing to to fund? So it's like you almost kind of need both. And maybe it's a case of like, we have this lots of non-independent teams, teams attached to, to men's football clubs mm-hmm. now. And maybe over time we will see, because at the moment we're seeing less independent clubs, right? Maybe over time with this popularity and growth, we will start to see more independent clubs with the kind of framework that Glasgow has shown or Angel City has shown, um, and we might see more of that because it is a viable investment, investment and it is um, something that is making money. It's, it's interesting, I suppose, because the speed of the women's game is now, you know, it's picking up pace. It's been picking up pace for a few years now. It's almost like in order to keep up with that pace, you need to have a big injection yeah. very much up front in the first instance. And in order to do that, because the women's game, you know, even for Arsenal and Chelsea, isn't even that profitable. Yeah. You kind of need the backing of big stars like Angel City you know they have A-list celebrity they've got Hollywood superstars that's not a normal kind of situation is it that doesn't just happen you know will we have like Ricky Gervais and like I don't know no James Corden already has his money in Angel City but like Reynolds in Wrexham yeah you know Stormzy with Murky FC Um, so yeah maybe we'll get like I don't know who's the biggest superstar Adele yeah, we'll have Adele doing like Adele FC for for the WSL title for, for next season we'll wait and see Adele if you're listening to up front you're rolling in the deep of all the cash. Can Ooh, you throw nice. some towards a football club? <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us today on Upfront. Myself and Rachel will be back next Tuesday. But if you have any questions for the show in the meantime, uh, remember, you can tweet us at Football Ramble. I am at Morgie underscore 89. And Rach is, of course, at Girls on the Ball. We will see you next week. Upfront is a stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.